Heavenly Father, in Christ Jesus, you were faithful to the promises that you made to your people, that you would set your captives free and help us to walk in your way. Let us ever be mindful of this, that we may do all things to your glory. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Please be seated. Some of you have heard this story or parts of this story before, but as many of you are newer, I have no reservations of sharing it again, and I will probably share it multiple times because I find it amusing. And my first, when I visited All Saints in my interview, I came, I met people, I saw what was here, I left and thought, I do not want to go there. <laughs> I had many reservations which, as I left, most of which I will keep to myself, but some of you know what they were, or at least some of them. One of them was about Anne, by the way, but I have no problem <laughs> making that comment because she knows the whole story and is a good, good friend now, and my reservations were rather unfounded there. I only said that because she was already grinning, so I, I think I could get away with it. But suffice to say, I did not want to come. But as you can see, God apparently had other plans. This morning, I want to look at the gospel lesson, but we're going to broaden it out because it shows how God has plans that he is faithful to work out. We're going to look at the three dreams of Joseph, but more importantly, how those dreams are used to fulfill three promises. Joseph, if you remember, if you go back even further, was just a bit reticent about his situation as well. If you were Joseph, you probably would have been reticent equally if your fiancé came to you and said, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. It's not yours or anybody else's. It's God's. And if you had been like Joseph and been faithful to the word of God and not slept with your fiancé, you probably would have, like Joseph, called shenanigans. But an earlier dream told Joseph, no, it is my child. Raise him and show him the way. Love Mary well. That is, of course, very much a paraphrase. But we fast forward a little bit to verse 13 in Matthew chapter 2. And we need these parts to get context for our gospel reading this morning. In Matthew chapter, verse 13, verse chapter excuse me, chapter 2, verse 13, there we go. <clears throat> the Magi had just departed from worshiping Jesus, and they snuck away so that Herod would not know the location of him. It, Matthew records, now when the Magi, they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. That was, and that was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken 
by the prophet, Out of Egypt have I called my son. That quote, which is applied to Jesus here, is an interesting one. It comes from the book of Hosea. Hosea talks about God's faithfulness to his people in their faithlessness. Despite this faithlessness, he cares and loves his people well. And in order to demonstrate this, he calls his prophet Hosea to marry a woman who is unfaithful, who sleeps around and treats him poorly. And yet he tells Hosea, love this woman as I love my people. The prophet is meant to show, show, as we often use illustrations, how God loves his people. Hosea loves his unfaithful wife despite her, just as God loves his unfaithful people despite them. So that makes this quotation rather interesting, which comes from the 11th chapter of Hosea, if you're following along. And it starts with, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Because ultimately, we're using imageries of marriage where God is the husband and, and Israel is the wife. And yet here he changes to the masculine pronoun and not the feminine pronoun. In one sense, it's probably referring back to the historical man, Israel, who God raised up to be a great nation with 12 sons and many the tribes of Israel stemming out of that. But in another way, it is referring to Christ. For in this, sense, in this sense, Matthew is showing how Christ fulfills all which we and humanity and Israel failed to fulfill. Christ is perfectly obedient even when we are disobedient. Christ has been perfectly obedient for you. And so your call is to trust and believe and to grow in his grace. We continue on in Matthew, where Herod, we have the awful story of Herod's genocide of the children. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he attained from the wise men. And then it was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. God is not only faithful in our faithlessness, God is faithful to redeem in the shadow of great evil. Some people have questioned the historicity of this account. And perhaps if you're more well-read, you've read something that said, well, there's never any secular account of Herod killing a whole bunch of children. And this is more or less correct. But the reality was that Bethlehem was a tiny, tiny town, and at the most, it would have been a dozen or so children. Let us not pretend this is not vile or evil. It certainly is. 
It is one of the greatest evils we can imagine, the killing of children. But in the reality, it pales in comparison to Herod's other atrocities, and perhaps it was simply glossed over by historians. A much later historian does, in fact, record it, but the, where it came from is a bit of a, a bit confusion, confusing. And if you have any sympathy at all, you're probably uncomfortable with this part of the story. But we must remember that God has always used man's evil to bring about great things in the end. We think of Joseph and his brothers, his brothers who sold him into slavery, and yet God used his brothers to redeem them, to save them from death and from famine. And we see this again and again. In this case, as horrible as it was, God uses this in his providence to save Jesus that he might bring about the redemption of all of humanity, the redemption of all who would believe in him. And so, my friends, do not lose heart when you turn on the TV or when a friend calls you in tears and you hear of some evil in the world. We are not promised that we will be without evil in this world. We know that it will happen. But we know that Christ is all the more faithful. And therefore, we can pray and trust with more fervency. Trust and believe. He is good. He is faithful amidst the trouble and the sin which we as mankind has caused throughout the history of the world. And he is faithful to his people. He is bringing us back to the paradise which we've lost. Now, at first, as we read these prophecies that, that Matthew draws upon, we might be confused because the one that sounds overwhelmingly positive, out of Egypt I have called my son, is drawn from a very negative passage. But as we saw, Matthew uses this to highlight Christ's goodness in the shadow of our own failure to keep his commandment. But then we look at this prophecy that is used to talk about this horrible thing. And we see that Jeremiah, where it comes from in Jeremiah, actually talks about a good thing. We hear that voice crying out, but if we go back just a couple verses before, we read, Then shall the young women rejoice in the, and dance, and the young men and the old men shall be merry. I will turn your mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the souls of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. And again, we have to understand this as Matthew showing us something greater. There is, as we know, weeping. There is sorrow. There is heartache in this world. But Matthew draws from Jeremiah's promise that Israel will be redeemed after her exile in Babylon, will be brought back to her land to show us that as we are in Christ, we, as we experience his redemption, we are freed from our sin. We are brought back into union with God, which was lost in the garden. And we are being brought into that paradise, which was created for humanity. We who weep 
will be comforted. You who are sorrowful and heartbroken will be healed. You will have union with God and be with him forever. And finally, we get to our little gospel lesson this morning. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream before Joseph, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought that your child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. We see Joseph's final two dreams. And in fact, these are the final two actions of Joseph that we ever hear about in Scripture. He is faithful and obedient to the end. He takes him to a safe place that he knows and returns to Nazareth, where he had met Mary, to raise Jesus in an almost unknown city. But there's an interesting thing that happens here. We hear of Herod's awfulness in the verses immediately preceding, how he killed children. But then immediately following that, we read, Herod dies, but Christ lives. Let that sink in. Earthly rulers, wicked or good, will die. They will pass away. But Christ lives. Christ lives lives, no matter what powers try to overcome him. In my 12 or so years of ministry, one of the most discouraging things has been watching when Christians become despondent when their chosen political person does not come to power. This is not to say don't vote. Go vote. Vote your conscience. Care. We should care about what happens to our country. But the thing is, Herod died. Archelaus would eventually actually be pushed out of power and then die. Caesar died. George Washington, believe it or not, died. And Donald Trump will die, just as Joe Biden will die. But Jesus never dies. Jesus died for our sins and then was risen and ascended into heaven where he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus lives. And Jesus reigns. So yes, take part in civil things, but don't put your trust in them. Trust that Jesus lives and Jesus reigns and Jesus will come again. And so we get to the final prophecy. The final prophecy that comes after this beautiful little moment of our reminder of Jesus' ruling. We get to this verse that says that he would be called a Nazarene. If you're bored sometime, I challenge you to try and find where that is actually said in the prophets. It's not, just to save you some time. So it's rather odd 
<clears throat> but it is most likely referring to Isaiah 11.1 1, and other verses like it. Now let me read you Isaiah verse 11.1 1, so you can think that I'm crazy and then I will do my best to explain why we think that. Isaiah 11.1 1 reads, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. <clears throat> a fruit from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now you're probably thinking, if you are remotely thoughtful, well, what in the world does anything that you just read have to do with shoots and branches or trees or stumps? And that's a very reasonable question. The best that we can tell is that Matthew is playing with words here. And if Nazareth had been an English town or an American town, it would have been something like Branchville or Branch Town. Nazareth, the root of Nazareth, is rather similar to the Hebrew word for shoot, which had been, and that, that shoot was believed to be the promised Christ, which fulfills the prophecy. In other words, coming out of Nazareth was a branch, one that would rise up and make a people for God. Jesus rises up out of obscurity, out of a little town that may have only just been called Branchville and would have been forgotten had he not been born there. He rises up out of darkness, out of obscurity, out of humility to graft a people into God, to graft a people into himself to be the people of God, to graft you and to graft I into him. Jesus rises up for this. And so we see God is faithful despite our rebellion. God is faithful to redeem us in the shadows of great evil. And God is rising a people up to be faithful. So I started with a story about coming here and interviewing and being hesitant, and then I made fun of Anne. <clears throat> But as I drove, as I took the shuttle back to the airport, an overwhelming conviction hit me that I had to pray about what my visit. I had to pray and trust and see what it was that the Lord was calling me to do. Was he calling me to leave behind friends and come to a strange place, to move across country a second time in under a year? Was he calling me to a little church in somewhat rural Arizona? <clears throat> and I prayed, and I had great peace that if I was offered this position, that I would come. And how glad I am that I did come. What an incredible blessing the past four and a half years have been. I've been able to finish, or almost finish, my second master's, where I've been able to study under some, of the, some young biblical scholars who I think will be great names in that world in the next decade or two. I've had incredible friendships, probably the best friendships that I've ever known. I've had the blessing of being your pastor, pastor of a church of Christians who love Jesus and want to grow in him. More especially, I met my beautiful wife, and we hope to meet our child soon. <laughs> Preferably sooner rather than later, <laughs> if you're listening, baby. 
God promises us redemption from the very first day of the fall. He has orchestrated it despite humanity's rebellion, despite humanity's great evil, and he has made you in Christ a part of the people of God. God fulfills his promises to you. God fulfills his promises to me. God is faithful in our obedience, and God is faithful in our disobedience. Let us trust and believe that he will see us through. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said it is more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs>